Hello, this is Len Tengis welcoming you to the iPodcast AGCMO Weekly Podcast. In each episode, we'll feature information about a contractor, specialty contractor, supplier, contracting agency, owner, or legislative or regulatory issue pertinent to the construction industry in Missouri. We'll feature industry professionals and other construction industry representatives to help our listeners stay up to date with current and future trends in construction. So here we go. Welcome back to iPodcast AGCMO. We are down to the last four weeks of the Missouri State Legislative Session. So we will be talking with Denise Hasty. Denise is our Vice President for Governmental Affairs, Governmental Relations, Advocacy. We've got a lot of words for it, but basically it's trying to figure out what's going on with the legislature. So, Denise, thanks for giving us an update today. Thank you. You're welcome. So we've got several topics to cover. Let's start with something that comes up frequently on these podcasts, which is the topic of workforce. So what is going on? I know this is one of the governor's big initiatives, his workforce. So where are we in terms of legislative activity on that item? Well, House Bill 225, sponsored by Representative Catherine Swan in Cape Girardeau, is the governor's fast-track workforce bill. And that bill would provide grant money to pay tuition and general fees for 25-year-olds that have had no educational enrollment in the last two years. So it is a a means to reactivate, re-educate those who are dormant in the workforce or in the education realm. The House passed this bill back in February, and this last week the Senate Education Committee voted out a Senate committee substitute, which is now headed to the Senate floor for debate. The changes of this that came into this bill out of committee are significant to our industry in that it now lists a, a specific list of eligible programs. The Coordinating Board for Higher Education is now the driver of the programs uh, in this bill, and they published a list of programs that are eligible, which now includes, and it did not include before this Senate co- committee substitute, certificate programs, undergraduate degrees, and industry-recognized credentials. So certificate programs includes things like a welding certification and the industry-recognized covers apprenticeship programs. I believe so, yes. It's our understanding. The caveat there is that there must be an occupational shortage in the industry that these individuals are seeking education or training in, but as we know, that's well documented in the construction industry. The other details on this bill is that it is a renewable grant that's renewable for two years as long as the student maintains a GPA of 2.5 or higher. But this is huge for us. This is something that, you know, we wanted this workforce development bill to pass, but we certainly wanted it to pass with an element that impacted our industry, and as originally filed, it did not. So now, this, will, as I said, will go to the Senate floor for debate, and since the bill has changed in the Senate side, it'll have to go back to the House for reconciliation. They can either accept what the Senate does ultimately or take it to a conference committee. So it would be fair to say that because of the work of our lobbying team and our contractors that the bill was expanded to include our industry. Yes. That's that's a success. Now it is. So this is really a success for us in terms of workforce. Now the next issue that we're 
fighting for, and that is the other leg of the governor's initiative is infrastructure, transportation. So there's been a lot of changes going on in terms of transportation and infrastructure. Yes, there has, uh, Lynn, and we have been following the two sen- the two concurrent resolutions. There was a House and a Senate version that were the governor's bonding proposal for the bridge program. Now, his original program would have pulled uh, 250 bridges off of the current MoDOT STIP and fund them separately through a bonding package, which would then move other projects on the STIP up faster. So it was a double edged sword, so to speak, in in an effort to run two things parallel and get some more transportation funds going. The Senate version came out of committee and was debated on the Senate floor last Tuesday and was filibustered from late afternoon until about 2 a.m. on Wednesday morning by members of the Senate Conservative Caucus. They've proven to be quite a strong lobby within the Senate, and they proved that power last week. So they went back to the drawing board, they being leadership in the Senate, and worked and negotiated Wednesday with members of the House as well, because the House had sort of turned its nose up to the governor's bonding program and had gone with instead $100 million from general revenue to be part of a funding effort. By Thursday morning last week, a new Senate substitute was introduced for Senate Concurrent Resolution 14. What the difference is, in the original bill, there were 250 bridges. The Senate substitute now includes 215 bridges. I do not have a list yet of which bridges were removed. I'm sure there will be one forthcoming, but I don't have it yet. The original bill had $350 million in bonds, the new Senate substitute contains $301 million in bonds. The original bill paid back the bonds in 15 years. The Senate substitute pays back the bonds in seven years. In debate last week, it became clear that MoDOT had submitted an infra grant application with the federal government for $175 million. That grant submission required the state to show it had skin in the game. And so they had leveraged this bonding program that was the governor's program, this $350 million in bonds, as the state's investment to be the state's part as per the specs of that grant. So that came out in the middle of debate. So Without having a bonding bill that passes, Missouri has no hope of getting that infogram. And so the Senate substitute now includes the caveat that the bill only goes into effect if MoDOT is awarded that $175 million grant. The reason that's important is Missouri had no opportunity to amend those grant documents once they were submitted. So having leveraged that and wanting to get that hundred, not wanting to throw away $175 million, that became part of the Senate substitute. The governor has reacted positively to this. He's glad to see that there's been a cohesive effort on both the House and Senate side. And the Senate substitute also says that this bond payment will come from GR. So that sort of satisfies 
those in the House that wanted these funds to come from GR. That's great news, but I should have said this to start the podcast, that we are still four weeks till the close of session. Correct. So I would say that whatever sort of bills are introduced now or look like they're going somewhere, I guess the message is stay tuned and watch either our website or watch our our updates as they come along on the end of the legislative session because this is changing daily. Very much so. Uh, this was, however, a win. It felt good to finally get something on transportation that was positive and was going along the way that we had hoped that it would. So this is a very – it's a good step. That's great. That's great. So, you know, part of the problems that we're running into with this lack of funding for MoDOT, and hopefully this is a step in the right direction, but one of the problems that we are having is the whole life cycle cost analysis bill, which is really a symptom of the disease related to not having enough funding, which sort of has resulted, unfortunately, in pitting concrete against asphalt and asphalt against concrete and MoDOT against the legislature. And there are just a lot of moving pieces to that. And I know that life cycle cost analysis is another bill that we're following. It is, and we've been very engaged in these. We've had several meetings with the legislators involved. Uh, There is a Senate bill and a House bill, and we've met with both of those sponsors. We have testified in all of the hearings that have been held on both bills, and we have met with stakeholders on both sides of this issue. So Senate Bill 158 is is the one bill of the two that is moving. The House bill is dormant, has been heard in committee, is not expected to be voted out of committee. But Senator Bill Eigel of St. Charles County has filed Senate Bill 158. This one requires MoDOT to conduct life cycle cost analysis on pavement projects where pavement cost is over a million dollars. We heard this in committee on April 4th. The AGC of Missouri testified in opposition. The essence of the issue is that MoDOT is doing more overlays, asphalt overlays, because of funding constraints. And there's fewer full-depth concrete pours because we're in a maintenance mode. MoDOT isn't building new lanes of interstate, as we're all well aware, so there's far less concrete work. And subsequently, the concrete industry is feeling the pinch. The Senate committee was pretty sympathetic to the concrete industry, which was a little different than the tenor in the House committee. And perhaps that is because the House committee bill was much broader in scope and was not simply on pavement. The reason that the AGC of Missouri opposes this bill, and this is important because I think some of our members may understand it correctly and some may misunderstand our opposition. We do not believe that the legislature should mandate a function within MoDOT's engineering department that is really unique to the engineering department. Life cycle cost analysis is typically what engineers do. We don't believe that you should legislate a pavement decision at all. We believe that's what the experts at MoDOT are supposed to be there to do. We also believe it's a bit of a slippery slope. As the House bill itself was very broad in nature, so could any bill be expanded at any later date. So if we start now by legislating pavement, asphalt versus concrete, we may be legislating in the future steel versus concrete bridges, plastic versus steel pipe, or even seed versus straw in the medians. So it's a slippery slope to begin with. 
as I said, what we have done, we've been very proactive. We've met with every sponsor. We've met with the concrete industry representatives. We've met with the asphalt industry representatives, and we've met with MoDOT. And our statement in our testimony has always been that we implore MoDOT to work with all members of the industry, all stakeholders, to resolve this internally rather than through the legislature. And in fact, we have a meeting later this week with MoDOT leadership, AGC and Missouri leadership, and the folks from the Concrete Pavement Association to try to help everybody get along here. Correct. While we oppose the bill, it isn't because we are choosing one material product over another. It we is, never would. We never would. We are not in the business of choosing sides between members. What we look at as the largest umbrella construction organization in the state is what is best for the industry. And legislating MoDOT decisions is not a good place to start. It's about public policy. It's not about a particular material. It's, it's the long-term view. Exactly. Well, those are two very important transportation issues, and stay tuned on both of them. Correct. We also have an issue about bonding and lien rights that came up. I know I got a call earlier in the year related to private structures being built on public property and the need to do something in terms of lien rights in that regard. Yes. Again, there are two bills that have been filed on this issue, one in the Senate and one in the House. The Senate bill is the likely vehicle sponsored by Senator Sandy Crawford. It is out of the Senate and is now in the House. We have spent a great deal of time on this issue. So let's just frame the issue. As we all know, liens uh, attached to the property, not the physical building being built. The current statute in Missouri does not allow lien rights on any property where it is owned by a political subdivision. So the scenario being a building is being constructed in an industrial park and the the building is for non-governmental use and is privately owned, but the industrial park property is owned by a county, for, for instance. So therefore, contractors and suppliers on that project would have no lien rights. That's current statute. Stakeholders from the construction industry, including AGC of Missouri, Site Improvement Association, and ASA, the surety folks, and insurance industry have all come together to address this issue. Senate Bill 167 would change Missouri law to allow recourse for nonpayment in these instances for the general contractor, for the specialties, and for suppliers. And by, it does so by having the building owner purchase a payment bond. This, if it's fully passed, would be a significant improvement to Missouri statute for contractors. And an example of this would be like the North Park development in St. Louis area or or wherever there's a private building on public property. Correct. It has to be for non-governmental use. The building has to be for non-governmental use. So the Senate bill was passed in the Senate and was heard in committee a couple of weeks ago. Even last week, we were doing tweaks to this bill. It continues to be bettered. Those tweaks were initiated by other stakeholders besides the AGC. The AGC tweaked them just a tad further. I got word late in the week that everybody liked our tweaks. So that continues to move forward, and it will now go to the House floor. Uh, I'm sorry, it will, it will. I expect a House committee substitute to come out of the committee, and then it will go to the House floor for debate. This is the vehicle that has the most legs. As I said, there is still a House bill that's been voted out of the House committee, but the Senate bill's 
over halfway there. The House bill doesn't look anything like this, but we have a very close relationship with that bill sponsor, and he has told us that once the language is secured for Senate Bill 167 and we quit tweaking it, that he will amend his language on the floor to be identical. So those are three significant 2019 issues, the workforce, transportation, the bonding. And I think they're wins, at least at this point, they're wins. Four weeks to go. (laughs) Exactly. But I'm counting. (laughs) Now, let's rewind to 2018. And the thing we spent a lot of time on in 2018 was prevailing wage. So we got the prevailing wage revision passed. It's in place now. As we're moving forward with the actual implementation, as with most things, there are some additional issues that we have to deal with. So let's talk about where we are on the actual implementation of last year's prevailing wage revision. Thanks, Lynn. It's easy to think that when you pass legislation, you're done. But the implementation is the details. And as they say, the devil's in the details. Once legislation is passed, rules for implementation have to be promulgated, and there's a specific process for that. Those, the Department of Labor and Industrial Relations proposed rules in late January. Those are published twice a month whenever new rules, proposed rules, or amendments to rules are published by a state department. Anytime there are proposed changes or new rules, there's a 30-day comment period. The AGC and many others in the construction industry submitted comments regarding the proposed prevailing wage rules because, well, they were substantial and there was a lot of clarity lacking because it's a complex issue. Typically, there would be a published response to each comment that was received by the Department of Labor, and along with those responses, they would describe if there was any subsequent action, whether they took the made changes based on that comment or they denied any requested changes there have been no there's been no response forthcoming from dollar at this point and that's unusual very yes in my experience it's very unusual meanwhile a new wage order has been published which now leaves the industry with a lot of questions There is a coalition of 16 trade associations that we've been very active in, as you well know, Lynn, and we have filed a sunshine request that would help us to ascertain the details about how that wage order was determined. Yes, we know our members and other contractors submitted hours, reported hours, as we asked them to do by January 31st, but there were inconsistencies between for instance, the published minimum wage in the wage order and what is really 120% of that construction minimum wage called for in the law. And so we're trying to figure out why or how. So there are a couple counties, as a result of the new law, there are a couple counties where the construction minimum wage was imposed, where there were less than 1,000 hours reported, In a particular county for a particular occupational classification, the minimum construction wage was imposed, and now nobody can figure out exactly how that was calculated. It's inconsistent with what it should be according to the Merrick regulations or the Merrick information. Correct. And so 
in order to allow us the visibility, the transparency to see how they developed these numbers, whether there is a mistake, we need to do a sunshine request. So that has been taken care of. That has been filed. So we will uh, we'll wait more information on that. One thing I do want to stress, Lynn, is that you know we published, we pushed for contractors to file their wage reports by January 31st, and that was to get the new wage order out with as accurate of wages as possible. But this is an ongoing issue. This this was not a one-time thing. This is the new law. Only contractors under this new law can report wages. No third-party reporting is possible. So we encourage our contractors, generals and subcontractors, to report all their wages on all projects, not just public projects, in all Missouri counties. This is the new law. It does not mandate that contractors report. But if we don't report, the prevailing wages will never be accurate. And it will likely be lower because the lack of reporting is going to cause less than 1,000 hours in a given octitle to be reported in a given county. And when that happens, this minimum construction wage kicks in, and it's a problem. So we need to report. I cannot stress that enough. So we will continue to follow that issue. We've got Sunshine Request filed, and as additional information becomes available on that, we'll go ahead and keep our members informed as as that wage order is clarified and we see what happens there. Correct. Finally, on May the 8th, I received a call last week from the governor's office, and we know that the governor in his speeches every time I see him, and I just saw him last week at a Hawthorne Foundation event, his two issues, regardless of where he is, workforce, infrastructure. Workforce, infrastructure. Those are the things that are not only two key elements of his campaign, but two key elements of our strategic plan for AGC in Missouri. With that being said, the governor called us looking for some support He wants to have a reception with AGC of Missouri members on May the 8th, the evening of May the 8th, at the Missouri Athletic Club West. We're putting together the details on that. And I know that we're encouraging our members to attend that because the governor has supported us. And quite frankly, he did not have to run a campaign. During the speech I saw him give, laughingly, he said, well, this is really kind of unique that I was appointed to office So I didn't have to make any promises to get my office. (laughs) So it's time for us to step forward now and support the governor. It is, and I would encourage our members to look for the information as we get the details. It'll be forthcoming and contribute. It doesn't have to be a whole lot of money. A lot of little monies add up, and the governor really needs our support. We should show him how appreciative we are he does have the opportunity to seek re-election in 2020, so coffers need to be full for him to run a campaign to, to run for re-election for governor, and we should do our part to show our appreciation for his support of what we need. Well, Denise, thanks for your time today. Thanks for all the hard work, not just of you, and I know you've spent a ton of time this year, but also our lobbying team, our Governmental Affairs Policy Committee, whether it's workforce, transportation, bonding, lien rights, prevailing wage, 
the pack. There are a lot of moving pieces this time of year, and there's a lot of juggling that goes on. I really appreciate all your hard work on it. Thank you very much. And we'll do this again before the end of session just to make sure that we keep our members current. Thanks. I look forward to it. Thanks, Denise. Thanks again for listening. It's easy to subscribe to iPodcast AGCMO in the iTunes Store or on Google Play. As always, you can visit us at agcmo.org for additional downloads and information. Thank you.